0: welcome back to part two of today's show with Cliff High, and we're going higher than last time. We're going all the way to the source, basically. Now, there are so many loose threads from, and and I hated to stop you at where we were at part one, but we just, (laughs) just had to. You know, uh, time—we are we're trapped in time here. Yep. Now, let's start with a small practical note. You mentioned the Salish in part one. Just for those who didn't listen to our last show, or nonetheless don't know who you're re- referring to, is this tribe you were growing up with, right, in Alaska? Uh,
1: uh, no, the uh, Tinglet or the people in Alaska. So, there's a, oh. all of all of the tribes in Alaska are part of this group that is called the Tinglet. And I'm not pronouncing it correctly. but And then the Salish are those uh, tribes of um, indigenous population that are uh, around Puget Sound in the uh, what is Washington State, but uh, go up as far as uh, uh, Vancouver Island in British Columbia, down as far as the Portland area. So the Salish were a collection of tribes, but not the inland tribes. So not Idaho, not uh, Montana, and so on. And they were isolated. The Salish was li- isolated by the language, as are the Dinglet. There's actually separate... Uh, linguistic structures that exist independently in those languages and can easily be isolated out.
0: Would would we include them among the American uh, the the Amero Indians?
1: Yes, indeed, indeed. So the the tribes I'm familiar with around here, you know, are those the the that are Salish would include like the Nisqually, the Chehalis, the. Um, uh, many of the other tribes all up and down Puget Sound, uh, the Macaw on the coast, the uh, Quinault on the coast, these are all Salish people okay. because they all had a common language.
0: Okay, I get it. I get it. Okay. Now, I have, uh, we may, if we have time, something tells me we won't have, but we may <laughs> return to the topic of reincarnation because it, it just dawned upon me that. You would probably be the right guy to throw all these aspects of reincarnation out there. I have to tangle with someone about this sooner or later, and it may as well be it, you.
1: Yeah. It may need to be another another show because I yeah, know, it's a big. I'll give you a teaser. I'll give you a teaser to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have I have done the mote in your eye or the mote in God's eye meditations, uh, as is described by the yogis and as is described by the curanderos in Mexico. Mm. And I did this specifically before my brother's death to see if there was something I could do to assist him. Ah, So I did did these with some careful planning, and I can go into the the results of those uh, quite extensively, but not in a mere hour.
0: No. You know what? Let's do that. Let's have you back in the future just for a reincarnation orgy. Yeah. Uh, After, at some point after we've had the researcher on, uh, that should substantiate our discussion considerably with, with scientific.
1: Sure, because mine would be entirely subjective.
0: Yeah. Sure. But then it's, you know, if we have scientific data to back up the, just the existence of it, then it's uh, very fun to, go through these more. Th- that's the objective part, and then we'll have you f- on for the subjective. Sounds so good. That's great. So we have a lot of other stuff to cover. Um, and later in in this part, I want to return to something we discussed in Antarctica. interview. You, you remember the night vision Googles? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we'll not start there. We'll not start there. <laughs> I want to... Um, start with uh, the question if it's so doomed with AI there should be other people around I mean if I've realized it you, you realized it every so many I realized it what do they really want to attain with that whole transhumanism
1: meme they uh, they are uh, I, uh, okay so I think I, it, okay it is my conclusion at this time that uh, they don't know they're wrong Hmm. So there is no, in my opinion, there is no hidden uh, uh, objective, there are stated objective. Actually, no conspiracy at this No, point. <laughs> well, no or the conspiracy is flat out there. They, yes, they're conspiring to attempt to do something and they'll never achieve it because they're wrong on their underlying premise.
0: But what if they want to quench consciousness? What if they want to make drones out of us? If they have this stupid idea that they somehow can, at least they can stop it from expressing itself. That should be possible,
1: sure, and all of all of those things would be quite practical, but none of those things are related to the AI all right, so you could do that that i I find is uh, some part of the component. Uh, okay, I can say that there is a uh, a tendency in my mind to su- to think that part of the geoengineering is includes a, a conspiracy component uh, for what we would might think of as the dumbing down, the the introduction of uh, stannous fluoride into the water, the introduction of aluminum and barium and lithium into the skies, all in an attempt to reduce the ability of our meat sacks to connect with our consciousness.
0: I, I thought it was to reflect the sunlight. In well, yeah, there, to... there
1: is all of that. I'm just saying that these oh, people okay. never... Never let a, a project go without piggybacking on whatever they uh-huh. can. Good we point. see this, in, for instance, in uh, the grosser material world where NASA has got a particular thing, a particular satellite that's going up, and somebody comes along and says, hey, look, we've got this four-ounce device. Sure. Can we put it in? And they say, oh, sure, throw it in there, you know, and this this kind of thing. As long as you
0: never sh- let a good opportunity go to, go to waste. waste. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct.
1: Yeah. Okay. So… So the so the AI, the transhumanists, are trying to do exactly that. They're trying to take their, their consciousness and shove it into a jar, and they call this jar a computer.
0: Okay, okay. So it's just stupidity in this case. That's kind of relieving, actually.
1: That's, that's my assumption. I see no, yeah. I mean, I've looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, and I think these people are simply misguided, and, and they're of the opinion that they are, that consciousness exists because of the total number of neurons. Therefore, if you get enough neurons, you could swap your consciousness to a machine.
0: Okay. I heard you in another show explain quantum computing. Could you try to give that explanation
1: here too? Sure. Uh, quantum computing actually goes to consciousness, all right Quantum computing is all about consciousness uh, again, the people that are involved in it don 't usually use these terms because they 're seeing it from a perspective that I think is flawed but what materialism yeah correct the gross materialism, but what they 're doing is they 're doing an analog process and then they 're taking that analog process and connecting it to a digital machine to display it on uh, a computer screen and give us the ability to program against this analog process that 's pretty- Pretty brilliant, actually. Oh, it's it, yeah, it's, it's it's really incredible. I mean, it's, it's really genius. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. we were we were an analog society until 1947, and then we have uh, you know reputed spaceship crashes, and from that point on, we suddenly find digital technology is emerging everywhere. The early computers were all analog. All of the radio um, and vacuum tube approach to any of this stuff is all analog. And so um, here we are with an analog system. And what they actually do is they've devised a computer chip that they call a qubit. And this uh, quantum bit is a particular kind of computer chip that can have electricity spread across a matrix. And the electricity doesn't have to be at one end of the matrix. And it doesn't have to be at the other end of the matrix. It is simultaneously across the entire matrix, matrix C. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so it is, um, so you've got SALT. And you can put salt on one end of a plate, uh, it's an elongated plate, or you can put it on the other end of the plate, or you can simply spread it across the whole of the plate. When it's in either or on the on each end, that's a digital world. When it's spread across all of the plate, that's the analog version of it. Mm. Now, what we do is, because of the nature of these qubits, they're massively parallel computing machines because they can be in all states at at a simultaneous Um, uh, condition. So it's not either or, it's both and. And what we do, what we do is we arrange to shoot electricity into these chips in a a very isolated, very controlled environment. And then we take a snapshot of where the electricity is um, most found within those chips at that particular millisecond. And that uh, looking – and again, we have an observer effect. So as soon as we look at that chip, its data is destroyed and we can't look at that data set again. That's without we- so
0: shredding us cats.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's all so cozy rev. It's also Tesla way back when. It's And it's hmm. also consciousness and it's also – Uh, Very much like all the shaman do where they would gut a chicken in order to tell the king the outcome of what tomorrow's battle would be, right? (laughs) And what they're attempting to do is to read the moment of the zeitgeist and make projections as to where the zeitgeist favors certain aspects and we know this in our own consciousness all right you get up in the morning and some mornings you've got a lot of energy and the and you're hit by problems all day long and you just fling them right and left with a smile on your face other days you get up and your consciousness has less energy and the each and every one of the problems bog you down and by the end of the day you feel gritty from all of the Mm -hmm. stuff and it's the same problems it's the same you but there is something that is entirely different and that is the non-you that is the the material world and how you were interacting with it and such things as astrology divination in any form personal or collective is an attempt to try and find our way through the currents of the time that is flowing around us such that we have an easier time of it okay Mm. and so the 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 divination is an attempt to, to basically, it's a technology, is an attempt to make our lives easier so that we don't run into those days that wear us down and we're much more appropriately handling all of our problems and so forth. And now quantum computing is a form of divination uh, exactly, hmm. because the same technique of taking a snapshot of the zeitgeist of the moment of the pulse at that millisecond and interpreting it for answers is what's involved in the quantum computers. They're really cool. It's not built upon binary principle. Correct. It is not. It is not.
0: But you know, Tao Te No, I Ching or what it's called. That's an sure, eight-based sure. system.
1: Right. Uh, sixty-four. Yeah, sixty-four components, eight by eight in a in a grid. Yeah, eight by eight.
0: So, so quantum computing is that seven by seven or?
1: No, no. At this moment, quantum computing has reached fifty by fifty, and it's however many qubits they can stick into the chip, and how many of those chips they can stick into the little steel can that has to be isolated. Hmm. So. So, the grid size is immaterial. the more question the bigger the question you have to ask that you want to ask the the larger the grid you want for more possible answers and It gets into the mathematics of the common of it all hmm. so if you had if you had fifty um registers in a computer chip and they could be either on or off you 've got fifty binary um potentials there. But if the computer chip could be on off, or both, then you 've got fifty times. Uh, three. But in reality, it's more than that because those three the the third state only exists until you look at it, until the observer effect is triggered. Right. And the quantum computers are really interesting devices to look at themselves. They're really cool looking, like something out of a nineteen fifties uh, science fiction uh, uh, movie. You know, made out of um, parts of um, uh, kitchen appliances and that sort of thing. They look very mm-hmm. much like something you would hobble together and then spray paint in order to make it look science fiction like. Okay. But at their core, they take these qubits, these these computer chips. And then they stick them into a steel can, a very thick steel can of a particular kind of steel that's composed and made a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then they evacuate all of the air from that can that they can possibly achieve with the strongest vacuum pumps that we've got available. And, but those chips in no way have any electricity fed to them by any wire. They're isolated by the fact that they're basically held in suspension inside this steel can, this long steel tube. To get information in and out of those Uh, computer chips chips we use microwaves these microwaves are tuned and come in through the sides of the steel can at very specific frequencies to do nothing more than input a an active potential state that is to say to provide the electricity that spreads out across all of the matrices within all of the chips and then to also take a snapshot and see where that electricity ended up after the calculation Mm. and so here here's an okay and this is analog all right, so it's digital when, it, when the microwave receives the information and sends it up the, to its sensor and says, this particular chip I was looking at had the electricity in this position. And then from that point on, it's all digital. But prior to that, the actual conclusions or, or calculations are being done by an analog process now they actually and the analog processes at the quantum level are involved in these effects that we've named as entanglement and other quantum effects but all basically around entanglement Mm. and one of one of the ideas of entanglement um is that that um the zeitgeist can cause changes in ourselves and all matter and that that matter uh change can be picked up after the fact and so what we do is this we have a um uh, our can with the computer chips in there and we do everything we can to isolate it from consciousness mm-hmm. we um, pump out all the air and then that whole apparatus with the microwaves and all of this is stuck into a bigger steel can that is hypercooled down to near zero near absolute zero, mm. such that the idea is that if there were any random, uh, air molecules left in the can with the qubits, that they would be so cold. They'd all just sort of fall to the bottom and not interact with stuff. And then we further isolate this whole machine by sticking it into a big giant box with all these specialized, um, uh, servo motors and stuff in them that cause magnetic fields of such a, uh, um, a design as to prevent our consciousness from being able to interact with the qubits in any way, think about them or, or have that consciousness sneak down there and cause problems. Mm. And then we go one further level here, which is when we write the computer programs, we do it such that when you press, the, as a programmer, and you press the execute button, uh, you know, the return button on your keyboard yeah. and, and tell it to go, that you're not 100% sure as to when it will actually initialize. All right? Hmm. If you knew it was instantly going to start, then your consciousness could participate in it. Yeah. If there's this gap, your consciousness can't participate in That's it. so, so brilliant. So wow. they're doing everything they can to shove consciousness out of the equation.
0: Yeah, they're, they're making as many g- gap steps between you Correct. and a manifestation as possible.
1: And in my way of it's thinking... It's brilliant. Yeah, but in my way of th- thinking, the unexplained side effect or the unexpected side effect is the Mandela effect. When you take all of it... Because look, when you take all of the consciousness <laughs> yeah. out of the computer, out of that little steel tube, and then out of the bigger steel tube that that little steel tube is input, and then out of the larger machine that that... That uh, uh, whole apparatus is put into, you're basically, uh, it would be like shoving all of the air out of a room to make that room extremely um, uh, rarefied in its air. And that's the goal. Well, here we're just talking about consciousness, and they're pushing the consciousness out. Of that space, well, consciousness, although it will spread out eventually, is going to pile up around that room because consciousness wants to be ubiquitously spread throughout universe. Mm-hmm. And here we're monkeying with that and shoving a bunch of it out of the way. So we're making a denser, thicker layer of consciousness around a quantum computer than would exist had that quantum computer not been there.
0: Hmm. What's the implications of this? What's the connotation? Well, it affects
1: it affects our mind. We don't know what the implications are. Negatively? Our, well, I don't, you have to decide. Here's the oh. thing. Wherever one of these machines go, we find that the Mandela effect springs up around there and then eventually dies wow. off. The first of these machines that were put into commercial operation with just a few qubits in each one of their... Uh, um, Computing uh, platform areas. Uh, so, not 50 qubits, but just a few of them. Even the very first ones were sold to NASA. Wow. And where did they put them? Down in Texas. What were the very first instances of the Mandela yeah, effect? What was that? They were, they, were sh- they were showing up in Texas relating to the Bible. Huh. Okay, because in the Bible, the Mandela effect was manifesting as a change in people's understanding.
0: W- what was the thing they remembered wrong from the Bible? Because uh, uh, hear me out. It, it, if it's a if it's a good change, then I'm inclined to say quantum computing is good. If it's a bad change, <laughs> <laughs> I'll condemn it. Okay, let's hear.
1: Well, the, the the effect is very disconcerting because the Mandela effect makes people question their own memory and so on, which could be good or bad. But in in sure. the case of the Christian communities, the Bible Belt, where they first studied these things yeah. in the united states the mandela effect manifested as uh, a, a change in a number of lines within the bible one of the lines that was uh, cited is and the wolf shall lie down with the lamb right okay many people remember that as being the lion shall lie down with the lamb
0: yeah it's really the wolf is not the lion
1: Correct. That's the, that's the current situation. I'm not sure. And now, and now, and now get this. Yeah. When we move, when we put those same machines down in Google and the jet propulsion laboratory in Southern California, there, the Mandela effect spreads to Hollywood right. and it starts showing up in movies with a uh, Darth Vader saying, Luke, yeah, I am yeah. your father or whatever. So right? many examples. And so the lines change. Yeah. Correct. So many examples there. When we see it in the Northeast, it affects music. At mm. the, because it was up in Boston where they were first doing a lot of the um, uh, work on the quantum computers and so on. And we see it up here in the Northwest because they build these machines up in Canada, in Vancouver. And so there's a, an outgrowth of the Mandela effect in, in mm. Canada that is uniquely Canadian to their their experience. And so I'm of the opinion that the Mandela effect will spread throughout the planet with the spread of these machines. However, the good part of this is that after a while, It appears from observable um, uh, uh, manifestations that the consciousness that's excluded from those machines dampens out, spreads out, becomes more dense in the immediate environment, but works its way out further into the rest of the planet, and the Mandela effect diminishes. But, But, oh, okay. Okay,
0: but is so we, it is it polluting our memory or is it actually changing? That's I guess that's a time. primary question. I don't I don't
1: <laughs> know. I uh, that's a that's a big question we actually have to mm. to ask. I think at this stage that we can say for sure the memory is affected, but positively or negatively, I we can't say mm. we can't say that there's not an underlying uh, physical manifestation in the stuff because frequently there are. Berenstain and versus Berenstain, and you can actually go back to old newspapers and find one or the other, depending on um, where you're at and where you're looking. Mm-hmm. And so we do see that there there does appear to be some level of evidence that time itself.
0: So it's not a totally clean revision. There's
1: Correct. It's muddied. It's, mm. it's like all consciousness, especially as we manifest it. It's not clean. It's, it's very muddied. And that's why, you know, the tools such as Zen and these other meditative uh, uh, techniques have emerged over time, I think, was for us to clarify and, and perfect our consciousness, if you will, or at least our experience of it.
0: I guess if you've been abused when you grew up, I guess it's a good thing if you can kind of clean that in retrospective yeah. yeah. I mean it is a principle in spiritual traditions where you will have to g- travel back to the places that hurt you and gather yourself so to speak uh, and pick up the, the, the hurt parts, the, the pain parts and move on and heal and there is many systems that claim that you can actually change your past because we're obviously we're just in an ever-present now right? So uh, reprogramming the now may not just it doesn't just have a ramification forwards in the future but also backwards. In fact I'll top that I'll illustrate that with a quote from I think it was Buddha but it was one of the enlightened ones and it is that like, goes like this. I always say this to the woo-woo new agers mm-hmm. who are so concerned with their past lives he said if you really want to know your previous lives or life study the life you're living now because obviously you're a sum of everything that's been right your experience has brought you here but he also said Mm -hmm. if you want to know your future life study the life you're living now.
1: <laughs> because whatever you're doing past now... Is, past is prologue, right? Exactly. And the ever-present now is the hinge for all of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But so so getting back to quantum computing for a second, um, there there's three basic techniques here for the that the quantum computers operate off of, which is the quantum entanglement, mm-hmm. uh, quantum annealing, and quantum tunneling.
0: Oh, okay, you have to distinguish those three for us. That, that's what
1: I'm gonna do. Yep. Quantum uh, entanglement is where we just take a snapshot and we see where the electricity is across the grid of chips. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, quantum annealing is a slightly different concept, and let's let's look at it as a real analog. Uh, kind of an approach. This is very much similar to reading the uh, guts of chickens. All right? mm-hmm. What they do is they uh, have a, a form of a computer chip that we can think of as a sheet, like a sheet of metal. And in in regular metal, if they were going to do this in regular metal, it would be uh, a flake steel. We've all seen this, where you look at the steel and you can see little tiny flakes of the steel overlaid on each other. And and what they're doing is they're going to heat up this plate of steel until it's red hot and it's all distorted. And then they're going to instantly freeze it. uh, And how those flakes of stuff orient themselves is your answer. All right. Mm. And so quantum, quantum annealing is done electrically by sending an electrical field across a number of qubits. And then then you basically take a snapshot of the electricity in, involved and you don't really care so much about how the individual qubits are responding to the electricity as a whole. So so it's an attempt actually to move away from um, Uh, reductionism into more of a uh, concentration, more of a field approach to reading these kinds of things. Okay, now, uh, quantum tunneling is where that's done in a, a cube, so to speak, a cube matrix of electricity, and so you're doing it at a three dimensional level. Now, all of these are all analog they're all done at an analog level where the material is interacting with the materium mm. that that place where matter exists. But here's something else that people fail to recognize about quantum computing. it's only right eighty percent of the time, hmm only so, 80% i say that's a correct, huge correct. match that's a huge gap but see it's relatively cheap for them to do these multiple uh, millions of um, parallel processes at once using these grids of chips, and so you just repeat the same code several times, and the answer you get three times is true, and right. you just discard those others that are not part of that that uh, tuple.
0: But that's in line with reality. Uh, correct. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that's how reality works. It's not determined, but it's what what we call the probabilities, right? And yeah. and the higher on the higher level you get to. You, you know, in the small levels, it can be 50-50 or whatever, but the higher up you go, the more the tendencies arrange themselves in some kind of agreed order, and yeah. then you have, okay this table will actually manifest as a table in one second from now even though at a quantum level it could have gone every
1: way. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> sure, it could have ended up being a raccoon, right. But it,
0: it's just statistics. Right. So, but I say 8 of 10 times is still a huge hit. How many systems do oh, especially, we have?
1: Especially since, that, that are nowhere near that, but even, especially given the, the massively parallel processing ability. So these 50 qubits right. that are all in a single chip can outperform in a single calculation all of the combined parallel processing machines that exist on this planet right now wow. and it's because the way in which we do digital parallel processing is through brute force and we're here we're sort of like guesstimating as to what the answer would be and if you get eight out of ten that's enough to be commercially effective yeah but you you still deny that
0: this can be a tool for ai too right
1: Oh, correct. Correct. Because it's it's uh, it's even worse than the brute force machine that executes <laughs> only the little assembly language one after the other and does it very fast. Okay. Here you've got to go to all of the trouble to set up the program. It's a uh, time intensive to get these things to pop off. And then it in no way provides creativity. It simply provides a faster <laughs> ability to do computations within the known uh, parameters of the computation. So you never out, never again step outside of the software that's being used to run the the quantum computers. So what can it be used for then? Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, google there 's a lot of different things that you can use for one I find quite fascinating is the ability to model molecules and so we can um, set up computer programs that could uh, use massive parallel processing to model particular interaction of chemicals with each other for the design of new materials and so we we'll, 're going to enter a new new uh, era of um, material science that will be absolutely fantastic you know stuff the uh, size of a uh, human hair that uh, you could hold up all of the uh, 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 Oslo bridges uh, on a single strand, right? And so uh, these kind of things can occur. So we could actually build the space elevator because we'll oh. be able to design uh, fibers that won't degrade under the shift out of the gravity of the planet and so on. And so so that alone right there is absolutely fantastic.
0: Can can it be used in, in printing? Uh, what's it called? Uh, printing stuff. Uh, what's it called again?
1: Oh, 3D, 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 3D printing. printing and that's yeah. Yeah, but, but not so much. Okay, that's mundane. That's brute force. It's much more easy to do no, okay, that. Okay. You, you, you could indeed use it to crack any, theoretically, to crack any code or or cipher on the planet. But it's hugely expensive. It's kind of like trying to crush walnuts with a Sherman tank. You know, there's a lot easier ways to do it. <laughs> I see. And so, okay, so now another thing, though, that it's really good for is a real practical problem that places like Google face or, or YouTube to a minor extent. And that is that Google has all these giant server farms that are sucking down vast quantities of electricity. All they're intending and all they're doing basically is maintaining an index of the 3% or less of the internet that Google actually indexes. So Google's spiders don't uh, see anywhere near, uh, they see only uh, 3% Mm -hmm. or less of the entire internet. Mm -hmm. And even yet, even so, When you do a search in Google, you're presented with, you know, a million and 500,000 results. The vetted version, censored. Right, right. Okay, and it's censored and all of that. But even so, even uh, if it was a mundane thing, where do I buy a red wagon with blue wheels and a white handle? Mm. uh, Those kind of uh, unique, uh, specific focused queries within Google would still result in... Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of of links that you don't want. Now imagine that this, and this is a small subset of the database that they actually have, that they could search if they had the capability. But the fact of the matter is that they are at that limit. They're at a a theoretical limit. If they were actually to search the 3% of the internet that they had indexed, and they were going to search through their indexes to provide you with the answer you seek out of any query, mm. then the potential would be that it might take weeks and weeks and weeks before they had an answer back to answer your particular query based on the 3% of the internet. And should they decide to index more of the internet, it's just going to add more weeks in the processing. Mm. Because our machines are, however fast they are, doing this brute force of examining each and every row of the data to see if it's associated with the red wagon with the blue wheels and the white handle. is going to be… Yeah,
0: it's like if you're going from here to there you have to go every area on the way to get there instead of taking the shortest correct. route
1: correct and quantum computing offers us the shortcut okay uh, because so- because what it can do is you can model within that array of qubits you can model indices for a hunt and then you could fire off the quantum computer and it would provide you the answer to the indices without doing the brute force one by one by one by one looking at them, that would uh, say that here are 20 links. And of those 20 links, the red w- uh, wagon with the blue wheels and the white handle will be found. And when they fire it off this way and run these queries, they find that indeed they do find that link within the 20 that are brought back. They'll find the one they're after 80% of the time. So 80% of the time that they fire these machines off, they get that, that one link you're really interested in. And so Google's intent with these things is to do search at an entirely different level. And uh, there's all kinds of math and theory and, uh, you know, constructs that are built on how it works. Oh, I, see, I see dark aspects here. What about the Intel
0: agencies? They can have a field day with this.
1: Yeah, but then, yes, they could. But uh, I've worked for government, and and government is always reactive. It's never proactive. They they're they have smart people and all of this kind of thing, and they can get real brilliant people to work for them. But the mere nature of government means you're always reacting to stuff and so on. So, yeah, the intel agencies could use it to hunt for stuff, but it will take them a number of years to become savvy with the technology. And, of course, conditions will change underneath them as we go forward. And so so I don't see quantum computing as being a big uh, privacy crack.
0: But it should be easier to interact with quantum computing when it comes to consciousness than uh, it is to interact with the uh, primitive uh, digital. Uh, digital.
1: Correct. Correct. And I would agree with that. And there's some quantum computers you can use for free if you want to train yourself in the programming languages and get access to them through the cloud. You can get results back. And so I'm going to be exploring some of the things that we can.
0: Maybe you can train your intuition
1: through that. Correct. And who knows? Use it as a tool for that. Yeah. And there's all kinds of other uh as I say, more uh, prosaic, but much more profitable uses, such as modeling new materials, you know, and coming up with everything we're going to need for my uh, floating uh, uh, recreational vehicle that I'm going to use to bring my boat over so you and I can go sailing in the local fjords. Mm.
0: Well, I don't need computers to guide me in that, but uh, I see, no, no, but I see I, the but, point. But, but I need
1: to build that or, or buy that um, right. uh, anti-gravity device so I don't have to go to all the trouble <laughs> of you know <laughs> getting my boat into an airplane.
0: <laughs> hey, could you use it for free energy mm-hmm, exploration? Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. All of all of that. And, and of course, mm. the fact that we're getting into consciousness exe- itself means that we're getting uh, with these computers means we're getting closer and closer and closer to Damn. the emergence of the uh, free energy because we're actually actively worrying about what, what I think of as the pulse. Which is conscious, which brings us to consciousness, and they're attempting to exclude that from yeah. these devices.
0: Yeah, let's not go there yet. I have that on yeah. my agenda. But, but uh, just a question about this. Uh, they use in, in science fiction and stuff, they kind of pretend that computers can read consciousness, like when you're dreaming and it's projected on the screen as a film, right? right? And that's also connected to the old dream of being able to fuse man and computer. But with quantum computing, could that be possible to hook it up to consciousness? You already said the other way around is possible. So could it read, not just that we influence it, but could it also read consciousness and translate that to some kind of coherent depiction?
1: Not as con- uh, currently configured. And so one would have to suppose, and I hate to even bring up the idea, but one would have to suppose that this might be done if, for instance, you were to use a uh, extracted brain And take the consciousness computing, uh, it would still be analog, it would still be uh, having involved uh, consciousness being shoved out of the machine and all of that. Only instead of the qubits, it would be my supposition you would need something that had been conscious and could still be read at some state that way. Mm. I don't think that that quantum computing will ever be able to tie into consciousness such that uh, it can do it to a live subject and um, uh, not be damaging. Hmm. So no, you're never going to get your, your dreams shown on to you on a screen, that kind of thing. Mm. And also dreams are another issue when you get into consciousness because they, they're not, um, a materium effect. Dreams are part of yourself.
0: Yeah, let's, I don't think we should go there today. It will take a long time to explain. Yeah. Maybe in the reincarnation <laughs> right, program, because right. I have points There here. you go. There you I go. think the next step is for, if you could recap briefly, we don't need the entire family story, but if you could recap briefly for those who haven't heard the Antarctica show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the night vision Googles in question. These are not the ones we're using today, the third no, no. generation U4 Googles, but uh, some kind of original stuff. Let's start uh, you just sure. recapping what that is, and then I have some questions. Sure. There
1: was, there was an introduction of uh, night vision goggles into the war in Vietnam. Okay. As far as I know, uh, this was the first active trial of these things, but of course it was in development since the f- late 40s, probably, curiously, 1947. In any event, though, we get into uh, the uh, active period of the Vietnam War some 20 years later, around 1966 and 67, and the U.S. military introduced the first generation of these night vision goggles, which had a display. Uh, they were different than what we have now, although they did work on the same principle, which was the excitation of electrons uh, as the motive force, not photons. Mm. And so it wasn't a photonic device; it was an electron device, as are our current. Uh, goggles, but uh, these. Hang on,
0: and I have to inject, that's very interesting, because if they were reading photons, it would be more etheric, but when they are reading electrons, they're reading the primum, it's before stuff has become atoms so it's at a very primal, but still a very material level the impulses they're
1: getting. Correct correct, at a lower level within the materium, yes.
0: And this is essential uh, because of what you're going to say soon, so go on
1: yeah and so so in that uh, situation, my father had um, uh, participated in this. He was an officer, he was the military governor of the region in Vietnam called Play coup, and he was um uh, a participant in that he he had to introduce these uh, devices and uh, track them and report back to the Pentagon as to how well they worked, et cetera and there were a number of bases across Vietnam where these devices were introduced, and they were first given to a helicopter gunner. Uh, people and, uh, gunnery people of, of also on the ground. And they discovered something rather, uh, interesting as almost as soon as these people put them on, uh, put on these goggles, uh, it, all hell broke loose. And so mm-hmm. my, my father would recount stories. He had many stories cause they were told to do this over the course of a number of weeks mm-hmm. in spite of the, the very nasty results. And in a flight of helicopters, when the uh, gunners put on these goggles, they would begin firing what appeared to be randomly into the air, even when these helicopters were flying and when they could have shot other helicopters uh, that were in their own squadron. Mm. And, And when queried as to why the gunners were firing they were in a very hysterical state and they were just basically jumping up and down and screaming well can't you see them look they're demons right there and it's looking at me and then and my father actually reports this that he was talking to a um, a warrant officer uh, an e9 e7 or something i think who was a gunner in the helicopter that was wearing these goggles and my my father was trying to get him to stop shooting Uh, His gun because he was in at risk of hitting the other helicopters in the squadron. And this this fellow was in a manic state. And it was it was maniacal about the fact that he was being observed by these creatures that were flying. So it's not just that he perceived them, but they could perceive him. That was what freaked him out, was that Mm. when he looked at him, they would look over at him and make gestures at him and (laughs) interact with him (laughs) and just freaked him out. So he was just shooting off his gun as fast as he could. 50 caliber shells being flung about in in space when they should not have. Very dangerous situation. And he was not alone. All the other gunners were also reacting this way. Uh,
0: Exactly. They saw the same thing. They saw
1: similar, mostly the same thing. Similar. Similar is the best way to put it Mm. because there apparently was some level of consciousness that intruded in using these goggles at least in the interpretation as to what they were seeing and the more um uh the more that that particular individual had uh, a big uh, religious bias mm. the more the creatures had a tendency to fit within that pre-programmed right. religious bias okay gargoyles if you're a catholic correct <laughs> correct so there were a number of people that reported that they were seeing the gargoyles and the ghouls flying around but they weren't particularly religious about it and didn't really uh you know get all bent out of shape. And then they also noticed that those people that were, um, smoking heroin, it uh, was a big thing in Vietnam yeah. was people would smoke, uh, cigarettes that had been dipped in a liquid heroin solution. And those people that were doing this, uh, fell into two distinct camps, the majority of which were much more mellow about the gar- gargoyles, but then there were some that were just, you know, right on the edge and, mm. and they didn't basically, they did not recover. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to them, but my father told about having to, uh, put uh, some of these people that had been part of the, the experiment into medical leave. And some of them were even shipped home, uh, back to the United States.
0: Oh yeah, it's probably probably some of these crazy cliché soldiers, right? Hobos, and then they like, suddenly kill a lot. Exactly. Full of PTSD and whatnot.
1: Yeah, but, but, he, but in this case, it was a distortion of the consciousness that was persistent after using the goggles.
0: Yeah, but what's very interesting from... Only the data you already shared is that we can uh, surmise a couple of things. First off, there are slightly differences, which means there's an interpretation aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But we also know that the source of it is objective because it's basically reading electrons. And you told us in a previous show that it's translating the images in the reddish, in the lower aspects of the visual range Mm -hmm. frequencies, whereas the common goggles today are basically in the green Translating into the green in the middle aspect of our
1: Well, there's something that there that's key, though. Okay, mm. because the the human eye, the subsystem that is the human eye, can see more colors of green than any other color, and we see right. green better and more distinct. Red, we've got very few uh, uh, receptors for red. And their range is not that wide in men, which is why we have men color of red versus women that may have many different shades of red and yeah. distinct language about them. And so the men were reacting. And so there is some suggestion that the uh, or some uh, inference that we can make that the red spectrum um, has fewer filters. And so it was becoming it was much more powerful within the, the uh, impact on consciousness than the green also red, of course, being associated with danger and all of this. Who knows what internal uh, connections are made there?
0: Yeah, but no, but I think it's it's not that psychological. I think it's much more material because uh, a clue is that if it's reproduced in the red specter, it's closer to infrared, which is just below the range of limited. True, true. And uh, my, true. my uh, assertion, or guess at least, is that if they did the same with the... Highest range, which would be per uh, what you say? Do you say purple? No, you say uh, purple. Yeah. yeah, purple. Oh,
1: ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Yeah, but yeah. because
0: that's closer to ultraviolet. So red is closer to infrared, and violet is closer to ultraviolet. So I'm thinking that if they, when they translate to the green, they're being they're they're driving safe. They're putting it in the middle, as far away from the transition zones. Edges. Edges. Yes.
1: Exactly. And they and they can't they can't do. Towards the ultraviolet, this is this I've been able to find uh, since uh, why? Uh, because I was a, actually a, a went and did some snooping around and found some reports on the goggles and traced the history and stuff. And there was a time uh, before they were introduced into the general uh, before they chose red, they hadn't gone towards blue, right? And the blue led to um, uh, long-term uh, psychosis, kind of damage that did not apparently involve seeing gargoyles or ghouls or any of this sort of thing, but it it caused a distinct Still, yeah. uh, personality um, set of symptoms that the military decided very rapidly not ever to repeat these again.
0: Mm. Yeah, because they're very practical, so they need results. Exactly. And that's why they went away from these, because they were losing. <laughs> they couldn't be used, right? Exactly. But I'm, yeah, I'm still thinking was- of the implications here. The military doesn't care about that, but philosophers will. And so I'm thinking that uh, those who perceive in the lowest, in the reddish aspects, are getting readings of some strata of reality that we normally don't see. Because we, you know, let's 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 go uh, take a detour to the vu again, and that's that. Sure. In UFOs, in the aspects of UFO sightings that are definitely machines, anti-gravity machines, very common thing is that it goes in and out of a visual range. It's not just that it can Mm -hmm. suddenly go very fast and therefore we can see it. It is also that it's materializing, quote-unquote. Of course, it's not really materializing because in real life there's no difference between matter and spirit or whatever metaphysical and it's just what we can perceive and agree upon everything that falls within these frequencies are dense enough to be called matter but obviously in real reality it's just transitions of vibrations right so my point is if you can get readings from lower visual range that would be energy something which do exist in our total Reality, But that we usually can't see. You you suggested something of the same when we talked about it. And I'm thinking the same is possible up in the ultraviolet. Only God knows what that would be. So,
1: yeah. Comments? No, I think you're quite correct. And uh, we also see these. um, There were some outgrowths of this work that went to the idea that that uh, brought basically brought up the idea that color was. Uh, coming through the eyes caused certain uh, physiological and thus psychological changes in in humans. And and this was coincident in time with the uh, experiments the army had been doing, and we also saw that shortly thereafter we started getting to the point where they were painting gel sales pink for instance, to calm people down.
0: Oh yeah, but this is proven. I mean, in psychology and marketing, just go yeah. me and different uh, sunglasses. I have different sunglasses. <laughs> when I take yeah. on one of them, yeah. I, I I I feel like, oh, I'm happy. Whoa, the world looks right. great, right? And when I take right. on the other one, I kind of feel more depressed. And that's just the color uh, interpretation of, of the light that comes to me. It actually influenced my emotions. And that's just the sunglasses. right, right.
1: right. Well, and the emotions, when you get into those and relative to consciousness, then you're into a whole nother area anyway. Yeah. But, you know, so, for instance, your consciousness or your, your perception of your own mental state is frequently uh, controlled by what's going on with bacteria in your gut.
0: Right. Yeah, that's another point. They discovered that the gut is actually a part of the whole brain thing. <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct. But
1: see, we've known that from, from martial arts. And from yoga and Taoism, because they always talk about this, the second brain, yeah. which is a, you know, so here the yogis knew and they had discussed it as a central part of their uh, technology long before Westerners ever came to the conclusion that oh, did you make serotonin.
0: Yeah, they had this yogic gut flushing. I've done that where you flush. Yeah, but,
1: yeah and I'm not talking about the actual. Um, uh, techniques, but I'm talking about the philosophical oh, right. underpinning of it all. Right, you know? right. And where the, where the writers about it are discussing the gut as being the source for you know serotonin and all of these kind of things without actually going into the gut biome. Right. But then they develop the idea that, well, let's get rid of the bad critters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: And we know the same about the heart now. We know that the gut, the brain, and the heart is one big organism of consciousness. We know that... Impulses that contours go first through the heart and is interpreted and then sent to the right place in the brain for basically meaning that your preconditioned emotion will kind of influence how you interpret your experience,
1: right? Correct. Okay, now, and these go to the vagus nerve, which is this weird... uh nerve complex that ties our brain the glands in the throat to the major organs of the body except the adrenals and um, the vagus nerve has very interesting capabilities within us that don't exist in other uh, vertebrates although they do to some extent exist in some other mammals so um Mm. for instance we're very close to uh apes we have the same vagus nerve construction as apes almost ours is much more extensive but we find curiously that dogs share a vagus nerve complex very similar to that of humans and so their level of consciousness and the things they perceive are um well different from us are as close to us as the great apes Hmm. so very interesting that that there are other vertebrate species that also have the vagus nerve constructed the same basically the same kind of way that we do and we have to also look at the way that the yogis see consciousness so for instance here in in the western world we always think of ourselves as being conscious and that we would actively seat the consciousness up in the brain which is entirely different from the Taoist or the yogic or sanskrit based um or sanskrit or pali because pali was a Uh, contemporaneous with uh, sanskrit but any of these languages they always uh, speak about uh, consciousness being seated in the pancreas right and uh, that that's our tie to it and now we you know in our modern medicine eh, we're really kind of unsure we know all kinds of details but in general we're sort of unsure about the pancreas anyway um but so so (laughs) yeah so a lot of the stuff go ahead
0: yeah, this brings us to my last question I had, and then I'll let you go. Okay. Because uh, you you were talking about the Elohim and stuff, but we can bypass all that because even if man is manipulated uh and incidentally came very close to dogs, if, well, whoever did anything, at some point there has to be I mean, who created the creators? That's my point, right? So, it doesn't explain the origin of consciousness. So I want you to be more philosophical than just saying something tinkled with us and then, voila, here
1: we are. Where does it really origin? That's quite simple, actually. If one wants to think about it a particular way, consciousness exists from this, um, what's known as the uh, silent pulse or the void pulse, I don't know if we got into this the last time, okay? No, we didn't. OK, so all of reality, uh, there was no such thing as a big Bang. The Big Bang theory is a misunderstanding of what uh, actually occurred. And in, in an alternative to the idea that there were, of the Big Bang is what I've termed the little bloop theory. And the little <laughs> bloop theory goes long, along these lines, all right? Mm-hmm. That there's this pulse. It's silent. It operates outside of space and time. It happens 22 trillion times a second. It is As soon as a pulse fires off, it is instantaneously beyond time, uh, followed by a void, a, a, a cessation. Mm. This alternating... Uh, pulse, void, pulse, void happens 44 trillion times a second. That means it's happening so fast that uh, when the pulse is, is creating... Okay, now, the pulse initially started off and it had no space to go through, so it instantly looped around itself, and the second... Uh, pulse that ever occurred looped around itself, and we had a crossing of the pulse, and the and then for 22 trillion times a second it kept crossing over itself until there was so much energy in a in a nexus where the pulse crossed itself that matter was created, very much like the E equals M C squared. Once you get a certain amount of energy, it will co- condense into matter. Mm-hmm. The very first matter that was created was a hydrogen ion because it was the simplest form of matter and that hydrogen ion was followed uh, now, when that hydrogen ion came into existence, it brought with it both time and space for it to exist. Every chunk of matter that is created brings along with it both time and space. As the as soon as that first chunk of hydrogen ion was created, there was uh, instantly followed with no time uh, other hydrogen ions, and it's still going on to this day, so that right now we're living in a constantly expanding universe that has nothing to do with a pent-up amount of energy supposedly locked up into that void in the Big Bang. What is actually going on is that that energy is continually crossing itself, continually creating uh, new nexuses of crossing, continually causing condensation of matter, and becoming more complex such that the matter is now much more complex than simple hydrogen ions, but of course it still can... uh, uh, constantly creating new hydrogen ions and that's why they're going bloop, 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 bloop mm-hmm. throughout the whole universe and that's why when meditators sit down and get themselves really into that still state some meditators use visual impressions others can use sound mm-hmm. and they actually get to the point where they hear what they call the sound of the universe and that's the sound of creation and that's the sound, this hiss that as all of these yeah. molecules are, are come into existence. All traditions have a word for it. Uh,
0: Correct. You know, the lost word, the creational Uh, word, etc.
1: Okay, now we have to understand that the void is necessary as well because every time the void happens it stops the the pulse and then the next time the pulse creates itself it can create itself and pass through areas that are different than uh, had been in the previous pulse and so therefore very much like Movie screen where we're seeing 40 or 60 frames of a movie flash before our eyes very fast Mm. and we see it as motion that is this continual uh, creation destruction that allows us to have motion in the materium. All right. Mm. And so without the void, we would have no motion. And the void is what the meditators attempted to seek all the time, especially in Zen, was the ability to get so close to the creation of reality, your consciousness so tuned to itself that it can see itself being created and destroyed twenty-two trillion times a second. Wow. And so that's where everything from consciousness exists. That's where it all arises from. And so if we follow this idea and take that as our underpinning, you can do a huge number of thought experience with experiments, which I've been doing for the better part of 20 years now, thinking about this as the underlying basis for reality and the things that it implies. And some of the things that it implies is that the, the nature of our consciousness is tied to what is na- tied to nature. And nature is the materium, the matter that is created by the pulse as it goes through all of this. Right. We, we also have corollaries that all time, the ever-present now, is continually expanding because the new hydrogen ions that are being created right this millisecond... People think time is going faster and faster and faster. Correct, which it is, which it is because there's more matter adding more time to it all. And And we will... And so we're perceiving it at some level. We're aware of this. And, and so all of these corollaries follow from that. Uh, and it, you, can, you can go off in any number of different directions thinking about this. And it yields very practical results in terms of thinking about things.
0: But shouldn't time go slower? Shouldn't we have more time on our hands instead of less?
1: No, that assumes the river model of time, which is not accurate. Mm and also people assume that time has um, uh, is like a movie and, and time in the past is stopped. Linear, yeah. That we could go back to those frames. They're of the opinion we could go back in time, like back to the future movies and go back in time.
0: That presupposes that those uh, nexuses of energy are uh, static, not changeable. Correct. But it's only correct. the now that's unchangeable. Exist.
1: And yeah. here's, here's the thing, the ever-present now is the only thing that exists, the past does not. Nope. And we can prove to ourselves a thought experiment here, because here's the thing, mm-hmm. I cannot go back in time, and for instance, I could not go back to 1985 and find the conditions that existed in 1985, I could not go back there, because consciousness has left that area. Yeah. People that have existed in 1985 are not the same consciousness, they're doing different things, so their consciousness is not stuck back there.
0: No, no. Nineteen eighty-five is just an echo today,
1: right? Correct, correct. And you'll never be able to have time travel per se. However, we can do both future prediction and future viewing, so to speak, if you did it a particular way because of the nature of the universe and its continual. Uh, yeah,
0: that, that's just about reading what's most uh, likely at the moment, right? Like, coming at us, like correct. weather forecast.
1: Correct correct but also we have to acknowledge something we operate at a level that is not 44 trillion times a second okay this mm. comes by the way the 22 trillion times a second is a uh, is an uh, uh, up rounding. The number is actually 21 million or 21 trillion and a uh, uh, change. And this number derives from Avogadro's number, which is used to determine the gram molecular weight of a substance. And basically, Avogadro's number is six points, something up to this raised up to this power. Mm. And the idea is that Avogadro's number represents the number of a particular number of atoms that can fit into a particular space. Uh, that we arbitrarily define of a particular um, uh, chosen molecule. And so Avogadro's number is actually key to molecular chemistry. And it was from there that I took that in the thinking of the pulse. But the, the 44 trillion times a second of pulse and void together uh, is such that we can say that we can make some uh, de- uh, determinations from this that actually can affect our daily lives, so to speak. Sure. And that is that that we can determine that some martial artists are extremely fast. And it's because they're reacting with their mind at a consciousness level uh, – Almost as soon as your consciousness has reacted and before your body is betraying your consciousness reacting and and they're able to get their body to react faster than yours. And so like Bruce Lee was blindingly fast because he lived closer to consciousness than the rest of us, so to speak. Sort of makes sense.
0: Yeah, like in, yeah, like in Star Wars uh, and Jedi.
1: Correct, like but, the Jedi. Correct, and so all of these weird things—that aspect of consciousness—is a very valid form of technology, as we now know with r- remote viewing and all of these others. Right, right. But but shouldn't we
0: be able to? potentially also be able to read the past in that even if the future because the future hasn't happened yet but we're seeing tendencies that the vibration, the waves will go in those directions couldn't we do the same by reading the echoes, interpreting the echoes so we could metaphysically harvest information from the past Okay, like most people today alive with the consciousness today alive has uh, an archetype, has an agreed, like, like the mandela fact, most of us agree that this and that happened so okay then we can go back and see okay this this is most likely what happened instead of going through history books i mean no
1: because see our consciousness is always tied to the ever-present now so all of consciousness is wrapped up into the ever-present now and what is left uh what we call the past is a um the image or memory of the consciousness
0: yeah, it's going. It's fading out of existence, just as the future is fading into existence. But my point is, if you can read what's fading in, shouldn't you also be able to have some sort of reading, not necessarily very accurate, but at least some sort of inkling of the past?
1: It's going to it's going to degrade very rapidly because of the nature of the ever present now and, uh, and the the. Um The speeding into that process and you're sort of correct that the future is fading into existence, but we have to take into our own minds into consideration because our own minds work at such a 60 frames a second level that the future actually is already existent milliseconds ahead of us now. Mm and so and so uh, the accident that you're going to get into as you're driving is already uh happening as you're becoming aware that it's happening, yep. and it's your awareness is slower than the than the uh manifestation, and so we have although
0: a, sometimes the shock will make the time slow down so you can be aware sure, sure. of what's happening.
1: right. But it doesn't make the time slow down. It alters your perception of it. Experience, yes, yes, right, yes, yes. So it's all all subjective at that level. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. Okay. I know. I have to let you go. I just want to say that uh, it's so beautiful because the word universe, as you probably know, uh, means one song. And that's, uh, that's the same as what we're talking about, right? Uh, <laughs> right, if we're right. Taking it by sound. In closing, you mentioned the last time that uh, you were influenced by Jainism. If you just want to say a couple of words about what traditions you have studying or practiced or adhered to. Uh, you're not a traditional Jainist
1: per se, I guess. No, I've simply read their cosmology because yeah. it's the one of the more accurate uh, historical records I've been able to find, more continuous, uh, albeit with you know the same kind of distortions that all human uh, recording of history has. It's one of the most accurate. I like the Janus because they are focused on the pulse. They have a non-corporeal mm-hmm. uh, form of a religion. They don't have a corporeal god, very much like the Sikh. And so um, – uh, so I've I've examined those in great detail. I've practiced. Uh, I've been a yogi since I was like 11 years old. So I wow. probably was born to it, um, and I've been practicing both the martial arts. H-
0: hang on, because you were moving about in the world with your parents, and that's how you encountered so early the yogic impulse.
1: Yes, actually, we moved to uh, Europe. There was a um, uh, situation, I got the crap beat out of me in a uh, fist fight, and my father decided I needed to, since I obviously was going to be getting into fist fights, (laughs) and it was a dangerous planet, he decided that I should... uh, um uh, explore uh, defensive actions and so forth right and that led me uh so the first martial arts instructor i had was into judo and was a, oh. um, a japanese fellow that also did zen meditation and he said oh you're too far too spindly and stuff to do this so you need to practice yoga in order to build your body up such that we don't damage you wow. and then i spent a year being thrown around so, I had a very traditional martial arts ex- experience where for the first year, I was the one that – I was the nage. I was the person that was thrown. And I, and as a result of that, I got very good at not injuring myself when being right, thrown right. such that by the time I actually had to do the arts, I was also very good at doing the throwing. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. But I've done I've, – Yeah. Yeah. So I've done uh, zazen. Uh, I started off with uh, vipassana, though, which is the Southeast Buddhist version of um, uh, meditation. Southeast Asia Buddhist version of meditation. Mm. And and Buddha was cool, but I don't know how enlightened he was as a because he was hugely misogynistic.
0: Mm. That's true. Many people don't know that.
1: But you, uh, Tai
0: Chi, I bet you flirt with Tai Chi.
1: Yes, yes, I do. I, I've done 30 years of Aikido because it's a much more active martial art than Tai Chi. And because of this uh, aspect of Aikido that is called the key Arts. And so uh, my first... That's day- like
0: Qigong or...
1: Correct. Uh, ni, ni Kung. Uh, mm. Ni Kung. Um, uh, which is the more hardened form of the um, uh, consciousness art, so to speak, right. how to get your key all pumped up. And and so I'm one of the big key people. So I suspect my long rest and my my metempsychosis will also be long, as yours probably will. The more, w- more we exert key, the more you take in key energy. Mm. Uh, it's just an interesting thing. You don't have willpower until you say you have willpower and exercise it. And once you've exercised it, then it simply grows and you never lose it. Um, but until you decide you're going to exercise it, you have no willpower. Very much the same with the key force. And so I'm a very big uh, big key kind of a person. And I suspect that that will have a translation into the metempsychosis form.
0: Well, I, I can promise you one thing. My metempsychosis will be longer than yours because I'm basically uh, adhering to traditions that – want to preserve rather than burn the
1: body <laughs> <laughs> and mine, and so mine even if I'm to, a
0: moron that will happen
1: <laughs> right and mine is with the yogis better that it should be put up for the crows to eat or be burned uh, very rapidly so that I can uh, right. progress with things but I'll see
0: you on the other side and we'll see how our journeys went so we'll get back to it exactly
1: later. we'll compare notes in the next life yeah. Yeah. <laughs> excellent let's, let's part
0: on that uh, good tone Okay. And thank you again so much for coming on so quick, and and we'll have you back later for uh, the part
1: three, I guess we could call it. <laughs> there we go, mm. there we go, and we'll discuss incarnation after you've had your your expert on. Yep, yep. Indeed, indeed. All right, All right. Thank, thank you very much. very much. Thank you, thank you. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. bye.
0: You've been listening to a conversation with Cliff Eye on the nature of consciousness as it relates to artificial intelligence. And I hope this brief, uh, superficial attempt to explore this complicated matter contributed to you getting a better understanding of the subject. I will... Quote some relevant words before we part. But first, on popular demand, actually, I'd I'd stop doing this for a while, uh, except for in the bonus clips to our web subscribers, namely giving a survey of the geography of our listeners. So. For those of you who has encouraged us to give you a new update, here it is. So, of course, as usual, the Americans are at the top. They've actually gone from 50, I think they were on 50% last time we updated you, and now they're up to 51%. This is the lifetime views, not the, not just the latest, but the all in all. And no surprisingly, United Kingdom is in second place with 15% approximately, then Canada right behind, and Australia and Netherlands. So I guess of the Europeans, I guess the Hollandic people, of the big European countries, I guess the Hollandic people... ...are better in English, since I, I think it has a lot to do with that. Because if a country is not well-versed in English, then listening to an English program obviously will be less frequent. And then comes Norway, Little Norway. We are up on 4% here. On 7th place, we have Germany. eight, Sweden. But they have, although the number of Swedes are lower than all I just read, they have a very high, they are in fourth place, I think, when it comes to how much of the shows they've been listening to. So they are, our sweet brother is enduring. Then comes Ireland. And I guess none of these countries are a big surprise. But then, on 10th place, the 10th place where where most people are listening in, is in India. And maybe not actually a surprise because it's a huge country and English is one of the official languages there. So, But to you people in India, I'll say we'll have some shows coming up in the future that will be right up your alley. 11th is Denmark, then New Zealand, of course, being an English-speaking country and and Denmark being like the rest of Scandinavia, um, having a good command of English. And then France. And then the first real surprise, for me at least, is the Philippines. (laughs) I know very little about the Philippines. I don't believe they are more versed in English than many other Asian countries like, let's say, Singapore. So that's quite a feat, being on the 14th place. Then comes Finland, Belgium, Spain, Greece, Mexico, South Africa, Brazil, Serbia, and Turkey. And a lot of other countries after that, especially Asian and... Off, but if they want to be mentioned they have to muster up some more views. So that's that demographic. I can also share with you the gender balance is of course still very skewed in favor of males. We have at a stable percent, 15% percent female listeners, but It has increased the last year or so, but it's a slow slow oil tanker to turn around, so we'll have to wait for a more distant future to see that number go up. And of course, as long as we keep having so many programs about war and technology and stuff, We're not uh, exactly inviting our sisters on, but we'll have some shows that traditionally appeals more to the feminine, too. We're going to explore more in, for instance, the Relationship Series. And we have a lot of females, of course, in the Philosophy Series, too, which this show is a part of. Now, I'm going to read to you a few quotes and then call it a day. Pedro Domingos said, People worry that computers will get too smart and take over the world. But the real problem is that they're too stupid and they've already taken over the world. (laughs) Edsker Dijkstra, I know I mangled his name there, but let's listen to what he said. The question of whether a computer can think is no more interesting than the question of whether a submarine can swim. (laughs) Well put. Graham Hancock, I don't believe that consciousness is generated by the brain. I believe that the brain is more of a receiver of consciousness. I'm right with you there, Graham. Carl Gustav Jung said, There is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. New Age, are you taking notice? Mahatma Gandhi in a simpler way said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. Eckhart If your mind carries a heavy burden of past, you will experience more of the same. The past perpetuates itself through lack of presence. The quality of your consciousness at this moment is what shapes the future that's pretty resemblant of the quote I gave actually in the show which wasn't Toller but someone from antiquity uh, Terence McKenna said we have been to the moon we have charted the depths of the ocean and the heart of the atom but we have a fear of looking inward to ourselves because we sense That is where all the contradictions flow together. And finally, Voltaire said, Meditation is the dissolution of thoughts in eternal awareness of pure consciousness without objectification, knowing without thinking, merging finitude in infinity. That's it for today. Thanks for Staying with us, your host, as ever, has been Al. Thanks to your support and my faithful team. Be you. Number one.